Would you join me in a word of prayer before this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The morning sun was particularly bright that day, and it came early, too early for a 17-year-old. He had been up late that night packing. He'd been readying himself for his long journey. The day before, his dad had told him that he would uh, be leaving on a trip to go check on his brothers. They were up near Shechem, which is about 50 miles away. And this 17-year-old uh, was excited for the journey. He was excited for the chance to, to get out of the house, to get out and see his brothers who were out in the field. And so he loaded up his, his things, his backpack, and he prepared for the long journey. He took his provisions. He took uh, a little dagger to protect himself out on the roads. You never knew if he'd run into a wild animal or a thief or a, a gang of robbers. Uh, you just didn't know. And as he wandered away from the flying jay, he got north rather quickly. He made good time. He left the Valley of Hebron. You know, that valley that would later become famous because that's where the kid David would kill Goliath. And he left the valley of Hebron, and he made his way north up into Shechem. Uh, in fact, we have, we have live satellite feed of this area. Uh, Hebron is way down at the bottom. You can't see it terribly well. And he would have made his way past the ancient city of Jerusalem, and he would have gone all the way up to Shechem. And he got to Shechem, and he's wandering around, uh, uh, and, and he finds a guy. Uh, it just says... A man, a man saw him wandering and the man said, Hey, your brothers were here, but they've went on up to Dotham and Dotham. We know very little about because it's only mentioned in scripture twice. This is one of the times and another time in second Kings. And, uh, he says they're up in Dothan. They went that way, head there. Now he was a little nervous this time in his life. His name was Joe or Joey, uh, he was only 17, but Joey was a little nervous because this part of the, the area, his family uh, was not liked. See, just a few years before, actually it was before he was born, uh, his brothers got into a little bit of a, a tussle with some guys from Shechem. And uh, they were there and their sister, Dinah, was actually raped by a man from Shechem. His name was Shechem, actually. She was raped by this man. And, and so the brothers were indignant. They were in a rage over this. And so they made a, a treaty with these people. They said, we'll intermarry with you, but you have to have minor surgery for it. <laughs> you have to be circumcised. And so the guys thought, well, there's some pretty girls and it's probably worth it. So yeah, we'll be circumcised. We'll have minor surgery. And as they were recuperating, because if you remember in the ancient world, they did not have anesthesia. So there are no YouTube videos of kids rambling on about what's happening in their life as they're on anesthesia back then. And the men were hunkered over and in a little pain. And 
defenseless. And the brothers went into town bearing the sword and they put to death the Shechemites. And it was in this region that Joey finds himself looking for his brothers and, and the sheep and the flocks, the herds that they were looking after because his father, Jesse, or excuse me, Jacob, back at the flying J, he had asked him to go check on his brothers and the flocks and let him know how they were doing. And he's traveled 50 miles. It's taken a better part of a week. Now he finds they're up in Dothan. Uh, perhaps they got scared off, run out by somebody who remembers that incident, you know, 18, 20 years ago. So he makes his way up there and he finds his brothers. They actually found him first. They saw him coming at a distance, it says in Genesis. And they didn't like their brother much. Uh, Joey had a knack for being a jerk. Um, he's a little immature. He would have these dreams that bug them. Not only did he have these dreams, they called him the dreamer, you know, Joey the dreamer. And Joey the dreamer would show up and they didn't like his dreams because his dreams said bad things about them. Well, one of his dreams was that they bowed down to him like he was royalty or something. And he, Joey being young and immature, told them the dream. You know, kids, if you ever have a dream like that about your brothers and sisters bowing down to you, don't tell them the dream that might make them a little upset. And then Joey went a step further because the next night he had a dream. And in that dream, he dreamt that his parents and his brothers all bowed down to him. And Joey hadn't learned from the day before. And he shared, hey, guess what, dad? Mom, I had a dream and you guys bowed down to me. And so did my brothers. And that didn't go over very well. And not only that, but Joey had a tendency to, to report everything that the boys were doing to dad. Uh, in Genesis chapter 37, we, we find that Joey had made a bad report about his brothers. <laughs> we don't know what the report was, but that's the context we have for this story that Joey had given a bad report about his brothers. And here, dear old dad, Jacob sends him away from the flying J up to Shechem and now to Dotham. And he's supposed to find out how the boys are doing. And you can imagine he might be a tattletale again well the boys see him coming it was hard not to see him come because he had that uh, that obnoxious loud bright robe that dad had given him dad's favorite the boys weren't terribly thrilled with seeing him coming and so they decided let's lie and wait for him and let's kill him wow kill him you know, sometimes my kids get a little upset and they say mean things, but kill him? Uh, Reuben, the oldest, he didn't like the plan a whole lot. And, and so Reuben's like, well, let's, let's throw him in this dried out well, this cistern. Let's throw him here and we'll figure out what to do with him. So they toss him down in the well and, and, and later they come back and, and, and Reuben is out to lunch, he's gone off. And the other brothers say, you know what? Let's not kill him. Uh, see that caravan of slave traders? We can make some money off of him. Let's sell him. <laughs> How many brothers and sisters would like to sell their brother or sister? <laughs> In the ancient world, you could. 
And they sold Joey to a traveling caravan. This caravan was heading down to Egypt. And Joey finds himself 17 years old. A couple months later in the great empire of Egypt. In fact, we've got live satellite feed of that part of the world too. It's really green there in Egypt. In fact, Egypt is the greatest civilization in the history of the world. Even to this day, there has been no civilization that has rivaled Egypt. No civilization has endured longer. And Joseph, Joey, at 17, finds himself there. Far from mom. Far from dad. In a, le- in, in a, in a world where he's an outsider. In a place where they speak a different language. He didn't take Egyptian in, in school. He didn't know anything about their history. He didn't know anything about their political structure, nothing about their leaders, nothing about how they organized themselves. He, didn't, he just thought it was weird that they all shaved themselves. Even their eyebrows were missing. All these folks just were shaved. They tended to like big, long beards, kind of like, you know, Duck Dynasty folks. And here he finds himself in this strange land with a strange language. And what do you do? Even your own brothers don't want you. In chapter 39 of Genesis, there's this story. There's this story about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It's a fascinating story in in light of our study of the book of Proverbs. Because when we were studying Proverbs last week, we saw that King Solomon had had given Bo, remember? Rehoboam, Bo? He'd given Bo uh, some guidelines. He'd given him some teaching. And he said, stay away from the adulterous woman. Protect yourself from her. She's like the open grave. (laughs) She's like death. And don't go near her. And Rehoboam didn't listen. He ended up having 18 wives, 17 wives in 18 years or something like that. 18 wives in 17 years. And uh, he didn't listen terribly well to his old father. And Joseph. Joseph is now in charge of Potiphar's household. In fact, when you look at Genesis 39, there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again. And and if you have your Bible and if you like to highlight, underline, circle stuff, this is a good one to highlight, underline, circle. It's a phrase that repeats itself four times in this passage. It's kind of letting you in on what's going on behind the scenes. And it actually happens seven times in this passage in different forms, but four times in the way that we first encounter it. It says, now Joseph, in verse 1, had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, is <laughs> the captain of the guard. He's, he's kind of like the chief of CIA. That's how you could think of him. He's a member of Pharaoh's cabinet. And he's the captain of the guard. And he bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And here's the phrase that you need to underline, circle, uh, highlight. The Lord was with. The Lord was with Joseph. 
<laughs> Question. If you'd been taken by your brothers, sold into slavery, find yourself in an ancient or in a different place where they speak a different language, dress a different way, the culture you don't understand, and you are now a slave, would you feel like the Lord is with you? The scriptures want to make it clear, the Lord is with Joey. And Joey finds himself in everything he does, it says, prospers. It's interesting because there's a lot of strange teaching around the word prospers nowadays. And we're going to talk about that in just a second because one of the things that I wanted to do with this proverb, Proverb 3, is to put it into some type of context so we understand this word prosper. Now, in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon is writing to his son, Rehoboam. And we read, and we're just going to look at verse 1. It says, my son, do not forget. Forget is a command, by the way. <laughs> Actually, do not forget. Because you could command somebody to forget something. But have you ever been commanded to forget something? That just happens naturally, doesn't it? It just happens. So we have to be commanded not to forget. And he's commanded, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. And it's important to keep it in its context because he's probably referring not only to what's coming, but he's also referring to what he's already said. Remember that teaching about wicked men don't fall into, wicked, into the ways of wicked men? Remember that teaching I just gave you about the adulterous wife? Don't re- forget that, son. And he says, do not forget my commands. And then he says this, if you don't forget them, this is what happens. For they will prolong your life. Many years and bring you peace and prosperity. The Hebrew there, uh, it's like everything in your life is going to go awesome. Everything. You're going to live a long life, but not only a long life, not like one of those lives where it's like, when is this going to end? You know, I'm miserable here. Uh, you're going to live a long, v- vibrant Meaningful, purposeful, rich, blessed life. Back to Joey. Because right there in that proverb, the word for prosper is the exact same word we get in this story about Joey. Where it says prosper. Everything he did prospered. Exact same word in the Hebrew. And that's really important for us because when you study the Bible, the Bible needs to interpret itself. It needs to define itself. It needs to help you understand itself. You can't just rip verses out from them and go, I'm going to claim this verse. Because if you did that, you'd claim some weird verses like Judas went and hung himself. Go and do likewise. I mean, if you've ever grabbed those verses together and thrown them together, right? People don't do that because those aren't verses they like to put together, you know, um, So we have a tendency to grab verses out of context and we need to keep it in the context of, of this ancient world. We need to keep it in the context of how do they understand prosper? How does God understand prosper? And here we see a slave in Egypt prospering, prospering. Uh, Let's keep learning about Joey a little bit. 
and help us unpack this idea of prosper. So the Lord was with Joseph. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, again, there's that phrase again, that even it's so obvious his master sees it. And that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes, in Potiphar's eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. You think Joey is sitting around sulking? My life's horrible. You're sold in slavery. I don't know what they told my dad. Maybe they took my coat and dipped it into some blood and tore it up and said, Dad, he's dead. We don't know what happened. A lion got him. But here I am. Dad doesn't know I'm alive. Nobody knows I'm here. Nobody cares about me. Do you think he just got up each morning and, Woe is me. My life's horrible. Where's God? It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Actually, it's not the worst thing that ever happened to him because we keep reading. Potiphar put him in charge of everything. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Don't you wish you had a slave like this? Everything you had would be blessed. In fact, look how good it gets for Potiphar. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food he ate. How cool would that be? That's a good servant. Man, I don't have to do anything except sit around and shove food into my face. That's all I do all day long. That's my job because I got Joe. I got this guy. He's so good at what he's doing. I just, wow, man, I'm hungry. What do I want to eat today? That's all I got to think about. And my 401k is growing and my flocks are growing and my wife's looking better every day. It's amazing. It just keeps getting better and better and better and better and better. I'm liking this, Joe. That was the best slave I ever bought. Now, Joseph was well built and handsome. (laughs) You got to like the Bible. He's well built and handsome. He's a good looking guy. Strong. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, (laughs) this is a little R-rated, so children may not want to listen here. Teenagers will perk up a little bit. Come to bed with me, she says. Now, sometimes when I read this passage, I've thought, you know, she's some real hottie. But then you're like, well, she might be a wannabe cougar possibility. This could be like, either a big temptation for Joseph or bordering on sexual harassment for Joseph. We're not sure. (laughs) We don't know. But what we do know is Joseph says, with me in charge, he told her, your husband, my master, does not concern him with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Did you see who he said he'd sin against? God. I mean, yeah, it'd be against Potiphar, but... 
Joseph understands that if he inserts himself in between their marriage vows, which they made before whatever God, Egyptians made it before, but he understood that the way God designed and understands marriage is that it is a covenant between a husband and a wife and you're not supposed to place yourself between them. And that's a sin against God to do so. Because as we learned last week, sex is only meant for that covenant, not for outside of that covenant of marriage. This is the woman in chapter two of Proverbs. And by the way, Joey doesn't have that book yet. Hadn't been written. How does he know this stuff? For a 17-year-old kid, maybe he's 18, 20, 21, who knows? It's been a little while, but how does he know? How is he so wise? Well, the Lord's with him. The Lord's giving him wisdom. He's following and obeying the Lord. Well, the story goes on and uh, he refuses her. And this goes on day after day after day after day after day. Every day, come to bed with me. No, come to bed with me. No, come to bed with me. No. It's kind of like Dave wearing me down sometimes. Take me to the card shop. No, take me to the card shop. No, take me to Sugar Shack. No, take me to Sugar Shack. Okay, jeez. His persistence pays off sometimes. She keeps bugging him and harassing him. I'm thinking this is more in the sexual harassment category. And Joseph keeps saying, no, no, no. One day they're in the house by themselves. She's particularly frustrated. And she grabs him by the cloak. Come to bed with me. And Joey, in his haste, flees and leaves his coat, his outer garment with her. And she cooks up a plan. She hatches a plan. She says, I am going to call out to the servants. She yells out to the servants. They come rushing in. That Hebrew tried to rape me, have his way with me. She kept the cloak with her all day long. And she told the story to Potiphar when he got home. And the passage tells us that he was angry, burned with rage. And he had Joseph thrown into prison. Now, some Bible scholars, people way smarter than me, they've read this passage and they have noted that Potiphar should have killed him. That would have been the penalty for this kind of behavior towards, I mean, especially a member of Pharaoh's cabinet, chief of CIA. (laughs) Just have the kid knocked off, right? But he puts him into prison. and, And some think that maybe Potiphar doesn't believe his wife. Because Joseph's character is such that he's never, ever, ever let me down. He wouldn't do such a thing. And so some scholars believe that he threw him into jail, had mercy on him because he's like, I don't know if this is true. But he had to do something because his wife's going around town. She's at the hairdresser. Did you hear what my slave did? She's at this. Did you hear what that slave did? He tried to make sport of me and he had to do something. But man, with him in charge, all he had to worry about was eating. How can you kill that guy? So he has him thrown into prison. And later we learn that it's probably his own prison, Potiphar's prison. And Joseph is in prison. (laughs) Keep reading this and... But while Joseph was there in the prison, that's that phrase again. The Lord was with him. 
While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention. Notice how the language is similar to how good he was with Potiphar. And he says, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success, that same word, prosper in whatever he did. Joey's not sitting around in prison. Woe is me. My life's horrible. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I mean, not only was I killed by my brothers in my dad's eyes, but I was sold into slavery into Egypt. And now I'm stuck here on charges that were trumped up, not even true. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm just going to go eat worms. (laughs) This is the classic. When when handed lemons make lemonade. This is the classic bloom where you're planted. Joseph is the first guy in the Bible to teach us this. He didn't sit around sulking. My life's horrible. Nobody likes me. He didn't sit around, man, I'm in prison. How am I going to get out? And this is horrible. And it was horrible. But instead of sitting around feeling sorry for himself, he became the prisoner that carried the key of the prison around. And the warden didn't even have to concern himself. Hey, Joe, just, you know, if you need to go out and get some bread for the other prisoners, go get and come back and, you know, feed everybody. I don't care. I know you'll show back up. That's who you are. That's what you do. I don't concern myself with any of this stuff because you're here. Is that your picture of prosperity? You know, it's definitely not what preachers on TV are selling us. That's definitely not what some of their books say. That's, and, and by the way, please listen. My biggest pet peeve, I shared this weeks ago, is when people handle the word of God poorly. I even said, I believe, that I want to punch them in the face. I'm pretty sure I said that. And it just ticks me off. And there are some people in this world that they will preach this morning and they will jump in their private jet and they will fly to Africa And they will get off their private jet and they will preach to insanely poor, impoverished people. If you trust Jesus, you'll get lots of stuff. Seriously? Man, somebody hit him. That's not the gospel. That is not good biblical teaching. Here is Joseph in Africa a slave who is doing everything right, following God, being faithful, not going to bed with the adulterous woman. And everywhere he turns, it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. His situation declines. We learn later in this story that he ends up in prison for 13 years. You know, God just has a wonderful plan for your life. He wants to prosper you. Did that sell for Joey? Joey's in prison. But the scriptures say unashamedly, 
that God was with him and prospered him. What does that look like? What does success as a prisoner look like? What does prosperity as a prisoner look like? What does success and prosperity as a slave look like? How can God have the audacity to say that this guy, he's prospering? That's not the American dream. That's not the way we understand prosperity. And let me explain to you, we don't get it. We don't have a biblical understanding of prosperity. Because God says in his word, you can prosper when you're a slave. You can prosper when you're a prisoner. You can prosper when everything in life is against you and looking horrible. God can be with you and you can prosper. Do you get that? Do you see that? It's what the Bible says. So when you read in Proverbs chapter 3, that if you keep to God's commands, if you do not forget his commands, that you will be given long life, many years, and you'll have peace and prosperity, that could potentially apply to your life in jail. You might have a really long life in prison, and you will have peace and prosperity there. Because God is not giving you any promises to prosper you in the ways you think. I mean, think about it. Our hearts are so dark. Our hearts are so twisted and evil. I would much rather be up here and saying, you know what? Just put your faith in Jesus and he'd give you stuff. And I'd much rather tell you, if you give me 50 bucks, God will give you five back. So come bring it on. Let's go. I mean, honestly, nobody believes that because if that's true, that God returns a hundredfold what you gave, then we'd be, I'd be handing money out every week to people because God would keep a pile of money coming my way. Now, I believe that he gives you and blesses you and takes care of you. I totally believe that. I'm not challenging that at all. But I think a lot of times it ain't in the form of a dollar bill. And it's oftentimes not in the form of health. And it's not always in the terms of what we think as being blessing and prospering. I just want to be super honest with you. There are some preachers out there that you all need to quit listening to. And there are some preachers out there that you need to quit reading their books. Because what they're teaching and preaching is not the gospel. It is not God's word. It is not the good news. It's good American news, but it is not the good news. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to be successful, but he wants you to do it whatever situation you find yourself in. Too much of the time we think, you know what? If things change, then. If this happens, then I'll be prospering. If this happens, then God must have my back. If this happens, then God must be with me. Just think if Joey had thought like that, like so many of us. (laughs) If he had thought like that, he would have become bitter. He would have become angry. And I bet you God would have left him. 
I bet you God would have been, uh, Joey, more years in prison for you, buddy, because you ain't getting it. You're not figuring this out, Joey. You can be prosperous. You can be successful the way that I, God, measure success in prison. You can be successful the way I, God, measure success as a slave. And Joey was. And Joey was. When we talk about prosperity, one of the things I wrestle with, and as I look at the Proverbs, I sometimes ask myself, Does the pro- do the Proverbs promise too much? <laughs> and when I ask that, I have to remember to stick it into its context. It's not promising too much. It's promising far more than my heart actually wants and desires. Because my heart gets stupid and it wants some money and it wants a car that runs and it wants a nice house and it wants these material things. And then Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? It's all going to just, you know, burn, break, be handed off to somebody else. You'll die someday. And Jesus says, you should be rich. And here's how. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You see, remember that year that I had that little uh, rope in front of everybody and, and I painted part of that rope about this much red? And the rope stretched all the way across the room and I couldn't find the rope or else I'd have the rope here. And that rope was your existence. And the colored part is your existence on earth. And the rest of the rope is your existence forever. Because we believe, the scriptures teach, that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. And what Jesus is saying is you can leverage that little bitty piece of your life, that 60, 70, 80 year life that you get to have on planet earth. You can leverage that and you can invest in a 401k plan. You can invest in a treasury plan. You can invest in a bond plan, whatever you want to call it. You can invest in one that will, you know, be there for the rest of your existence. Yeah, but I want a bigger house, Jesus. I don't want to be generous because that would really cramp my style. Because I got style. Not me, but other people have style. And he goes, all right, but you know, that style is only going to be for about 70 years. Where that investment this way, I want you to be rich. I want you to prosper. I want you to be successful. But you got to think in a different way. You got to think in a different terminology. You got to think in a way that prosperity and success is measured by slaves and prisoners. And by God. And not by Americans. Because <laughs> see, Americans, they've done this weird thing that got the whole thing upside down. They don't get it. Advertisers don't get it. God understands because he looks out at the entire thing and says, where will your treasure lie? Where will your prosperity be? Are you really just going to ask him for some prosperity in this little bitty sliver of life? That's it? That's all you want? Or do you want prosperity forever? See, the interesting thing is the scriptures teaches this. And with this, we'll close. Jesus said 
The last shall be first. The last shall be first. Which to me, in this realm of prosperity, some of those Africans, oh man, places they're going to have in heaven. Some of the Pakistanis who are deprived freedoms and freedom of religion and the ability to get together and praise Jesus, but they were faithful. And then one day they bombed their church and they died worshiping God. (laughs) Some of those folks, the reward, unbelievable. You see, that's the only way prosperity works in God's economy. There's got to be a prosperity beyond the grave because I know an awful lot of Christians. I know a lot of Christians whose story looks a lot like Joey's. They do the right thing. They do the right thing and they get the wrong reward. We unfortunately had a great, not a great, a living example of that in Ray, Colorado, with the Wisdom family. And you can't make it through that tragedy without a good theology about suffering. And a good theology of suffering says that God, King Jesus, will make things right one day. And slaves and prisoners prosper in God's economy. So as you read the Proverbs and you come across that word prosperity, would you remember Joey? Would you remember that a slave, that a prisoner for 13 years? And it's interesting because he, when he rises to power, the part that we all like, oh man, he's in charge of Egypt. That's not where it says God was prospering him. <laughs> I mean, he was. But for 13 long years, it says he was prospering him. And when you read that word prosper or long life or peace or success in the Proverbs, remember Joey in prison. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do uh, shake sometimes handling your word. It's so important and it's so valuable. And my words and my life and how I handle myself has repercussions for eternity. And I pray, Lord, that anything that was said that was not worth being uttered, you would help us forget those things. And that we would just remember the truth of your word today. Father, I do pray for correction in the American church. For discipline for those you love. And we would understand that we can prosper in amazing ways. Ways that we would never consider prospering. Help us to remember Joey as we read your word and understand this idea of prosper. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom, peace. May you be granted success. More important, may God be with you. May you sense him even in the darkest of days, the prisons and the slavery that sometimes we find ourselves in. Amen.